Welcome back, Podcast Land. How you all doing? You with uh, the boys at Not Your Average Operator? With me, Melon. We've got uh, Mike and Tio Raff. How you going there, Mike? Mike's doing pretty good. Uh, Mike is coming into today's Monday, by the way. And uh, I, besides the daily rip from you and uh, Raff, uh, I actually look and feel pretty good, man, because I had a really good weekend that I'm going to talk about. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, Tia. Do you reckon he ever looks any good? This is the thing the viewers have just got the wrong mental image totally. You've got a, a head like a bucket of smashed crabs. Well, <laughs> Where do we I, stop? We, I'm not a poet, so I'm not going to try to like make this this whole sonnet about what he looks like. It'd be If you just picture a dumpster fire with a hat on, some glasses on top of the hat, nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says the guy who just looks like he got promoted uh, the director of transportation for the cartel over here with his new, with still, his new he definitely looks still like a, a capo. Still a promotion. What did you get? Raph, de- you definitely look like a capo today, mate. It looks like you are on the up. <laughs> Thank you. If, I appreciate If I see you in a bar, I'd come over and tip my head back and point my chin at you, you know, <laughs> sniff. Ask about it, Uncle Albert. <laughs> God bless. No, no, no. But other than looking good, how are you, Mike? Uh, <laughs> see, that's this is what I'm talking about. This is mental abuse. Uh, no, I do feel pretty good. I had a really, really great weekend, uh, which I'll talk about here in a minute. But it was up at Arlington National Cemetery with about uh, 30, 35 other veterans. And, uh, man, I'm just coming into this week extremely humbled. So, uh, yeah, I have some cool stories I want to share with everybody today, and uh, I'm sure we'll get into a couple other things, but it's good. To, it's good to be here, dude. I'm actually excited to like talk to you guys. It's first time in, I think, two or three weeks where I haven't been either with Raf or hanging out with you. So it's kind of it's kind of cool. And how about you there, Tia? How you doing, man? Dude, I'm good. I'm just living my best life out here with a little man. Just, if anyone, uh, if the listeners can hear noises that sound like a small child who's been trapped in a high chair as a form of parental, I don't even know, is, is abuse too hard a word there, Mike? But it, we've got a small child trapped for crowd control purposes. I mean, that's what I heard. I heard Soren screaming for help, but apparently he's like, oh, no, that's his ABCs. That sounds like H E L P, but sure. <laughs> Blink twice if you need help, little man. <laughs> He trusts me. He's fine. I'm the one that's being held hostage right now. But I, I, I love it. We get the contrast of you on deployment with the uh, the girl from Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman in the cupboard with you. <laughs> and <laughs> and then when you're home, like honestly, I I really you know, it's it's some kind of crazy work life balance that you live, Raf. And you know, much respect to you for what you do. You're certainly in in both places. Like you're right in with the boys when you're deployed. When you're home with a family, there's definitely no question, but that you're really engaged. So good on you. Yeah, it's really yeah, impressive how you can go from one side of the spectrum of like being in theater and dealing with an aircraft and a crew and just really doing a, a really awesome job over there, and then you come home and you can just really play it off like you just don't give a shit. You know, it's it's really it's. It's really good, man. <laughs> and I'm just going to burst everyone's bubble. Raf and I are both just janitors. We, we just put flying suits on when we go to work, pretend, take photos and put them on Facebook. That's right. Really look at those name tapes on those pickle suits because it, it does say That's janitorial because, services. Yeah. yeah. Good with a broom. Yeah. We're good at putting dumpster fires out, sweep at the base, and it, or aim at the base with a sweeping motion. Elevate and sweep. That. Elevate and sweep. So I know, I know, Mike, you've had like a really good um, short trip that you've just returned from that's been one amazing person after another it looks like you spent time with. So are you happy to sort of fill us in on what you've been up to in the last week or so? Yeah. So after we got back from Montana, you know, uh, the previous weekend, I really – Got back, did some work and rejocked, and then I went up to Washington, D.C. 
And it's through uh, with with uh, Sergeant Patrick Sauer. So for the listeners, uh, he owns Not Your Average Operator. We also owns uh, Operation Once in a Lifetime, which is a charity you can look up on Facebook or anything. And it's, uh, I've been working with them for 10 years, doing a bunch of uh, charity work for military veterans and just to help thousands and thousands of veterans with literally everything you can think of. So uh, every year, minus last year, because of good old the C word, you know, COVID, not the other C word. Um, <laughs> you got to go, it's got to be careful. I, I'm, I'm being careful. I'm, Australians. I'm, Australians listen to this and they just assume, you know, that's just sprinkled into the conversation. It's called having situational awareness. Okay. I'm good. So uh, anyway, we have an annual, it's called a closure trip and it's kind of like the honor flight for people have seen that, but we fly veterans from all wars to Washington, DC. We stayed at the uh, Gaylord hotel up there in Baltimore, beautiful freaking place. And we all get to arrive on Friday and we had a little mixer up top and there's an eighties bar. It's called, what was it called? Like pose, but it's literally like neon telephones and see through stuff. And it's all eighties music and stuff. It's really, really, really fun. If you go there, I recommend there's a drink called the lost boys, which is basically like vampire blood. So the people have seen uh, the lost boys movie with the vampires, you know, um, young Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, exactly. Uh, Mike got a, little toasty off of those or whatever i got hammered on friday but uh <laughs> i'm not gonna lie but it was a lot of fun lots of queen being played in the 80s you know and it was it was fantastic so Ooh. uh but i got to meet everybody and in my group i had 10 people that were kind of you know i was their point of contact during the trip i had an 82 year old veteran uh and his son so he was a korean war veteran and he brought his son with him uh his name is uh their, their names are bill the veteran and his son anthony uh, and also my roommate was Mr. Adam Bird himself, uh, who we've had on with the Broken and Blessed one, but he also runs our media group that puts out this podcast for us. So shout out to Adam. Um, shout out to Adam. Adam Bird. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, yeah. It did. He's a great roommate. Big ups. Uh, big ups. Yep. So uh, we hung out the whole time and then uh, shared a couple stories. You know, everybody's kind of feeling each other out. And then Saturday morning... We all went to Arlington and we spent about two and a half hours there. And uh, I was very open and I'm just like, hey, you know, I have friends that are buried here, too. I'd love to share their stories with you. And and I hope to hear some of yours. And did I ever uh, two in particular one, uh, this guy named Al, and he brought his daughter, Nicole, and uh, they. um he was in the air force and shifted commands in the nineties. I think it was 1997. And there was a, uh, engine failure on a C-141 aircraft and all of his friends were on it and he was away. So he couldn't be on the flight Well, there was engine troubles, whatever. And I guess it was failing. And they, it was like, I don't know the whole story exactly, but something with a scanner for other aircraft wasn't even on the aircraft yet. Um, and, uh, a German, airplane coming from another direction at the wrong altitude and they collided and everybody on the aircraft uh perished so uh i got to be with with them when he went there to visit and visit his friends and i'll tell you what a special moment that was man and uh the silence said it all i'll I'll just leave it at that and i you know i'll leave that moment for 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 him and what we talked about and everything but um you know, seeing a grown man stand before something like that. And um, it, it was just a beautiful moment and, and some conversations took place. Uh, and then also another guy, uh, his name is Bill and uh, Bill and his son, Anthony, the Korean War veteran. They had a they had a guy that they were friends with that, uh, and his name was Bill also. Uh, and you guys can maybe look it up. But his name is William Toller, T-O-L-A-R, and he was a Marine Corps veteran from Korea. So growing up and everything, they're always like, hey, you know, old Bill, you know, he calls him his friend and everything. He's like, yeah, what'd you do in Korea? And all he ever told anybody was like, oh, we played a lot of baseball. You know, we'd go over there, we'd hang out, and we'd always play a lot of baseball with each other. And and, uh, his son, Anthony, was like, no, 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 I really want to hear about, uh, you know, the war side of stuff, the fighting, like tell us a war story. And he's like, 
it's really nothing worth talking about. You know, he's like, we really, I didn't do too much. And I played a lot of baseball. He's like, I think I struck out my CEO and I hit a home run once and like ticked him off and everybody thought it was funny. He's like, yep, just played a lot of baseball, you know, no big deal. So um, he ended up passing away in 2009. And during the ceremony, there was a citation that was uh, read off uh, at his, at his funeral and full 21 gun salute military funeral. Well, Bill was awarded the silver star for fighting up a mountain and saving 18 other Marines. And to a lot of people, you could call him a hero, but everybody in the family had no idea that Bill even was in conflict or was in combat. And for, you know, over, you know, ended in 53 for over 60 years, he never talked about what he did in Korea or the amazing acts that he did. Like that to me, man, is the definition of being humble. And I was there to share that moment and that story with him. And it made me feel about an inch tall. (laughs) There's something so profoundly admirable, like tough and cool and understated about a person who can have an experience like that and keep it to themselves. And, you know, I would encourage people where they can to get this stuff out, but this is the very opposite of grandstanding and showboating and, you know, spiking the ball in the, in the touchdown zone. My, my wife's grandfather was also a Korean war veteran, uh, 51, 52. I think he was there and he was also trapped behind enemy lines and missing, presumed killed and military medal artillery officer. And, he he never told anyone really in his in his family either about his story. And it was just in his in his eighties when he met me. He just sat and talked to me about a lot of his military background. And at the funeral, I, I I did a reading, and there was a lot of family there who'd never heard any of that stuff. It's a real parallel, you know. That just struck me. The the quiet the quiet people, the quiet men and women, who just went about their business with just consummate professionalism. And just yeah. got on with the job. <laughs> that, that's little man over there on uh, on Tio's lap. He's uh, r- running around exploring the space. So he's, he's got some beans. He's he's having a good day, as you can hear. A little little soaring. So so William Tula, Korean War veteran. We played a lot of baseball. Played a lot of baseball in Korea, man. Yeah, how about that's that? A, that's a great story, Mike. Yeah. And, and I get to spend some time with Bill and Anthony at the hotel and we were on the, on the bus on our way back from Arlington and just had such a good conversation about, about life. And, you know, it's, that's really the, the special bond between people who have served. And uh, I shared a quote with them because I know we've, we've discussed it. And it was actually a quote, you know, from Roy Benavidez that we've talked about before. And, you know, I said, you know, life has a special flavor. The protected will never know. Um, you've never lived until you've almost died, you know, and uh, they, they were just like, yes, that's, that, that's it. That's how, that's how Bill conducted his life. You know, he was just an, a, a strong, humble servant uh, of God. And he was, a, he was a good man and nothing was ever too big or too special like he was just everybody's friend and it was such a positive light and uh to sit there and think about what he did to earn a silver star and then just act like well i'm nobody special man i just played baseball for fun (laughs) like it, it really shows you where we're at now i mean i'm not accusing everybody today but there's definitely a lot of like oh look i did something great let me make a movie about it let me write a book about it let me post about it let me you know look at me look at me look at me and it's you know they're they're part of you know i consider korea is still part of the greatest generation because a lot of world war ii veterans fought in korea so there was like no change uh and that truly is the greatest generation for countless reasons you know that we should still revisit and when you can have conversations with these guys uh, it's living history it's a living teaching moment and it's just you know 
again, I felt like I'm an inch tall standing next to these mountain mountains of men. You know what I mean? Just, I was the tallest guy there and I felt smaller than them. Like just so much respect, you know, it was great. I had a wonderful time. You're going to jump in there too. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to add to what you were saying. I was just kind of thinking to myself that that's one of the most common threads I've that I've seemed to pick up on is whenever you meet somebody who has been awarded some sort of like pretty distinguished um, award. I mean, rarely do they ever brag about it. Do they even, it's not even about being braggadocious. I feel like almost all of them don't want to talk about it. And I think it's kind of a, a layered thing. I think the reason it's because it's kind of a layered situation, meaning everybody who's ever served in the military, we've all had our own difficult day or, you know, difficult hours or whatever you want to call it, whether you're deployed or not deployed. I mean, you could have a catastrophic accident during training, during peacetime, right? You don't have to be in combat to, to have a sense of mortality. Uh, Mike, you talked about literally blacking out underneath a ship. Um, so I, the reason I say that is because I think that a lot of times people who serve, we almost always exclusively think, I know maybe that day was bad for me, but I know that there's a thousand times, like there's people that have had days that were a thousand times worse than me, right? Like the POWs uh, in Korea and Vietnam. Like I would never, and I think that's part of the reason why we try to keep a lot of these things to ourselves. Like, eh, I could tell you the story and maybe to some people it might be extraordinary, but I know that there's a lot of people out there that that, like they would, they would probably pray for a day like mine because it would be nowhere close to the nightmare that they had to go through, right? So I think that that's part of why I think a lot of them are just so humble and they're just like, it's just, it's a weird dynamic that I've noticed in the military where, I mean, because I've come across some dudes that have gotten multiple silver stars. One of them I'm trying to bring on the show. And he never, I mean, I've only spoken to him about it once. It was in the aircraft. And he opened up more than I think he wanted to. And this is a guy who had multiple um, uh, silver stars. But the point is, it's because I know that in his mind, there's, and because he knows them, that have actually had worse days. So for him, it's like, yeah, it was bad, but other people have had it worse. I just think that's an interesting dynamic. You know what I mean? Like it's, and then the other thing too, is the fact that a lot of these situations, cause you, Mike, you were just alluding to the fact that there are people out there that will go on and on and make videos about it in movies or, you know, they write about it. But I think the difference is a lot of the stuff that they try to promote and they try to like, uh, kind of, um, you know, just advertise. It's kind of superficial when you compare it to something that's so like, for instance, Bill Toller, uh, experience in, in Korea without having been there, just listening to what he had to go through to, to save those 18 buddies. It, that's an existential experience, meaning like he's probably still, and it probably took an entire lifetime to process, you know, what he experienced, like the near death. I'm sure he was afraid while he was fighting for his buddies, but obviously the love for his buddies is what helped him overcome. And I'm just, I'm assuming all this. I mean, this is all speculation on my part. I'm just saying like a lot of these situations are existentially like, rooted in real life stuff so i think that's why it's also a lot harder to talk about it's because this stuff is real this isn't some instagram crap it's not like he's putting you know a selfie on instagram with like a puppy on one hand and then like the booty shot in the other like it's it's so much deeper than that right it's rooted in like real emotions in, in humanity or, or like the Instagram model that's in a skimpy little outfit going, oh, I'm praying for the people of Afghanistan and poking, you know, on Instagram. It's like, no, you're not. Nice try, though, but no, you're not. Yeah. yeah. Um, what you said, what you said, Raph, is very, um, you know, it makes me think about experiences. But when someone looks at you and, you, and, you know, you've been through a hard time or anything like you're saying, they're like, well, you know, there's the easy sentence of, hey, it could always be worse. That could but be a 50 truth in that. There, there is truth in that, but at the same time, and this is kind of like one of those things that I, that I always revisit when I hang out with this generation is they will never say that they, they won't be like, Hey, it can always be worse. It's usually this pause and they just kind of like, look at you and you can see something's going on in there, but just the way their, 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 their body language is that their eyes, like everything else, like they're telling a story and there's no noise nothing needs to be said and you can just tell by looking at them and maybe i'm weird or not i don't know but if i am i'm totally fine with it you can almost feel <clears throat> the transfer of energy at that moment 
and that relationship that you have while having a speaking, you know, having the speaking nonverbal sometimes conversation between veterans. And that's what's special. I mean, you can talk to each other just by looking at each other. And it's like, I, I, I know, I get it. Yeah. Well, two, two quick notes on that, Mel, and I know you want to jump in. One, um, I'll confirm our weird. I've always thought you're a bit of a freak show. And two, I think that generation, um, you know, and it's, it's like, I'm, I hate to generalize anything or anybody because almost always like a hundred percent chance that I'm going to be wrong. Cause there's always, you know, anything outside of generalization, but I think that generation, they're just, they're stoics right? Like they've accepted the fact that life isn't easy and they just, they just dredge on, man. They're just like, they're just going to do the work. They're going to put their head down in the ground. So they're not going to complain. They're going to get it done. They're going to, and that's why, you know, it was the greatest generation, man. It's just, they didn't complain. And if they did, it was behind closed doors, right? It wasn't blasted. Granted that maybe it would have been different. If they had the internet back then, but I, I don't think they would have because the way they grew up and I'm just, I'm thinking about uh, my, my wife's grandmother who passed away. She died at 99. But I would listen to her stories as well, you know, living through the Great Depression, like multiple wars, husband that went to war, World War II as a, as a, as a pilot, as a bomber pilot, haven't survived that. I mean, just, I'm just saying, like, I think there's a level of stoicism that we're missing in today's current kind of framework, if that makes any sense. Anyways, Melon, you were going to say something. I also, um, I, I agree with what you've just said, Raf. I think that there is a stoicism in that generation that's to be admired. And this is not like us blowing sunshine and saying that everything now is terrible. We're identifying certain character traits, like character ethic was very big at that time in education, really put, you know, build resilience in children and young people and send them out into the world to, to deal with what they're going to come across. So I think we're just talking about traits that we admire and what it is that, that those traits were. The other thing that I think a lot of this generation is going to have a reluctance to talk about what happened because they had large-scale loss of life in these conflicts. And we're not talking, not to diminish anything that's happening now or has happened recently, but we're not talking a counterinsurgency or small-scale. We're talking hundreds of thousands if not millions of troops facing each other across a very, like a valley in Korea, trench warfare on the Western and Eastern front in Europe. I mean, we're talking about nations piling in with millions of, millions of soldiers and just the scale of the destruction and the loss is something that I don't think we have an access to. And I like, thank God we don't have an access to it. Thank God that that generation did what they did and saw off fascism and Nazism and also then saw off communism and gave us this amazing opportunity to live in the world that we live in. You know, I, 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 think, I think they would have a very hard time talking about any of it with just that scale of loss. Like Bill Tooley here has rescued 18. We're not really privy to how many fell or he lost in that same period, you know? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So just for numbers that you brought up, you know, at the Korean War Memorial that they have there and they're actually reconstructing it now. But the one part of it has a lot of numbers. So the war on terror, we've lost just over 6000 troops. Right. In a 20 year period. OK. Korea was 1951, 1953. There are more missing in action. Uh I'll just speak for the U.S. It has U.S. and then it has NATO as well. But U.S., there are more missing in action in Korea than there are confirmed deaths in the world war on terror. So think about that. In two-year period, just that alone. For U.N. forces, missing in action. Okay, not killed, but missing in action, 405,000. Wow. That's almost as many deaths U.S. deaths in World War II, that's missing. Think about that. For people that never got closure or have no idea whatever happened to their family member or friends or anything like that, right? So a man, uh, you know, this man, Bill Toller, and, and, and um, coming back and saying like, hey, what happened over there? Imagine what he saw on a daily basis out of a two-year period where that amount of loss of life was taken or and just death and destruction and everything else. 
And the, the one bright thing that he wanted to speak about, about what was worth talking about was playing a, gay, a, a game of baseball with his mates. That was a beautiful thing because probably the rest of what he saw there was not. And that speaks volumes about what really matters in life and what he learned as a young man being there. And the fact that he was willing to go and do what he did to save 18 other people. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I don't even know if there's a word for that, but, uh, that's, that's just very special. And he's one of <laughs> thousands in, uh, in Arlington that just have those stories that maybe you're never going to hear. So to spend a couple minutes at the gravesite and listen to a man's story or a woman's story, uh, about amazing things about humanity and being humble and strength and courage. Uh, like I said, man, I'm, I'm sitting here today. I'm happy. I'm very grateful and appreciative, but I feel, I feel like I haven't earned it yet. <laughs> like just after spending time with these, with these men, I mean, it's awesome. So. Yeah, humility, a little bit of humility is, is a thing that can go a very long way. And time with people, time with people and hearing their family stories. I have no doubt that uh, Bill Tuller probably was also trying to spare his family some of what he went through, like that paternal instinct probably there of not telling his children because just not wanting to horrify them. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing to think the family hearing this story about the Silver Star for the first time actually at the funeral of the great man. Yeah. It's an extraordinary and, and, you know, the other thing, too, and, I, and I, I know I've told you guys, I don't know if I've ever brought it up, but, you know, learning from that generation. One thing that I like to do that I've learned after being around these people who've been there, done that 10 times over is the way I conduct myself today. Because, look, the technological advances, the medical advances, gear, uh, science behind stuff like every, all the capabilities, even having a phone where you can call home and not write a letter. And it takes three to four weeks just to get back stateside in which by the time they get it, you might already have been wounded or dead. Like so many, so much pampering, you know, and, and advances that we've had, how do we compare to those? And one of the things, you know, when I really think when it came, comes time to how to conduct myself in certain moments, uh, where I'm being questioned, where my integrity is being questioned or anything else, I always put myself, if I had to walk into a room of my, of my, uh, you know, the previous veterans who've worn my device and there's one from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Grenada, Panama, the, the Gulf War and Bosnia and everybody, you know, all these guys that have served and I was to walk into a room and stand before them and they were, and if, they were judging me and they could be like, you could be with, be with us. You deserve to be one of us. Uh, I think that is the biggest compliment that you could ever do. And that's my guide It's just, I never want to ashamed any of these guys. I always want to uphold the standard, uphold the legacy of everything that those guys built out of nothing. You know, I mean, when, when the, the unit I'm in, they were literally born and didn't even carry weapons. Uh, for what they did when they started out, they were just the eyes and ears and sneaking in behind enemy lines and, and doing reconnaissance. So it was like, you know, we've come a long way and those guys are still around. And for me to stand in a room and think that I'm, I'm the shit and like, Oh, this and that, whatever. It's just like, settle down young, young buck. <laughs> you got a long way to go. And I, I, I never forget that characteristic quite professionalism bit of humility those are really good things to take away i think for all of us yeah you know and we can also you can re-benchmark yourself when you think you're having a hard time because we're having a hard time it's let's be real we're having a hard time this thing's dragging on and we all wish it was behind us and it's not the other c-bomb the COVID. so you know like it does help no joke it helps it helps to benchmark yourself and make sure you you're looking at life the right way and just being grateful for what you have. I reckon there's some excellent, excellent stuff there for all of us in your trip to DC, Mike. I hope so. And then and then you were doing jelly shots. Oh, geez, you can bring that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so, yeah so that's the other side of it is upholding the standard right so there are like, a couple of those guys found out you know oh oh what do you do uh okay i do this you know i didn't i, I didn't really talk about what i did i was like hey i'm the volunteer and i kind of work with you guys and you know it's it's spread around so of course you know i start getting uh shots um, what I'll just call it for what it is, you know, Pat hooked me up with a couple, there was a panty dropper shot. There was a blowjob shot. There was a duck fart shot. Uh, there was, uh, <laughs> some kind of jello and like whatever and liquor in it shots. And I, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, okay. And to, to be honest, I don't really drink like that, uh, often at all. Um, I, I just don't, but these guys that I was with, uh, it was honestly a privilege to, to, to drink with them, like to, to be on this and the same environment and share the stories that we just told about our experiences, about life, about death, about our, our friends that we were going to visit the next morning. Um, I was extremely honored just to share that. And when they're buying drinks and we're just having a, having a few, like, man, I was honored to even be given a drink by one of them because it was like, a sign of respect, like, Hey, you're doing, you're doing it right. And that's the biggest compliment that I could hear. So yeah, I partook and I got a little shit house. So <laughs> <laughs> did you, Hey, did you start lecturing them on CRT critical race theory as soon as I, uh, I probably did, but I, 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 I really, like I don't remember a lot past about <laughs> 1030. So I, I might've, I don't know. Did you ask them if they did a bunch of online classes back in the day? Uh, or, you know, integrity lifting. and yeah. yeah, ethics, ethics. Yep. And and uh, and, Raf, do we want do we want to pivot around to the the topic that you sort of were proposing for for a bit of a chat? I know we've had a good catch up there, and there's some really good uh, lessons out of Mike's trip to DC with the veterans. But you were you were talking about a possible. I don't know, a prompt, a cue, a question. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just uh, mentioned you guys because we were kind of throwing around ideas on a good topic. And um, this is something that I'd been thinking about. And it was like, what lesson in life have you learned, you know, the hardest way? Like a, a lesson that, you know, that you still carry to yourself, but you look back and you might either snicker or maybe cry because you're like, holy hell, that almost cost my life. Um, but I just thought that was, cause I, it's something I wanted to ask you two clowns, cause I'm sure you, especially you, Melon, I know you were a bit of a renegade growing up. So I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of hard lessons growing up in the, uh, as a McFadden. There were, honestly, there were, I just, <clears throat> I just started having flash sense of like leaving Melbourne and going off and joining the army when I was 17 and being the youngest guy by one of my platoon and getting on a bus full of blokes who look middle-aged because they were all like 22, 23. <laughs> and and uh, meeting the directing staff, who was a, a paratrooper from 3RR at the time. He was a corporal. Corporal Emery was directing staff for young recruit McFadden. I wasn't even a melon at that stage. And uh, this guy was a fairly, a fairly hard, old-school sort of a, a dude. And he told a joke one night we're out in the field with a, a bit of a big bonfire burning a non-tack sort of end to a, a little deployment and he told a story that was quite entertaining and humorous to him he thought it was hilarious and when he finished it he was a man with an Australian uh, lexicon and grammar and uh, he used quite a few f's and c's in every sentence and I thought I'd be pretty funny <laughs> and in the darkness I yelled out that was 17 C's in that joke. And he, <laughs> I thought I was, you know, in the crowd quietly. And he's like, there'll be one more C in a minute, McFadden. <laughs> <laughs> and just the sense of like, for like a second, I was like, I'm the funniest person here. And then just absolutely got shit canned. And the next week was absolutely horrendous. I don't know. There's a lesson in there of that big note in yourself. And I definitely sit a bit longer before speaking these days. And 
you know, there's a time and place, I think. I think young 17-year-old Melon learned a hard lesson. How about you there? That's, that's a good one. What about you, Mike? Hardest lesson I've had to learn in life, man. Oh, that's hard to pick one. I know we've kind of talked about biggest uh, things we've learned before a little bit, but... It doesn't have to be the hardest. It could be just the one you learned the hard way. The hard yeah. way. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. I mean, I learned lessons around uh, mission preparation on pilots course as well, Raf. You know, I'd sort of got, I'd sort of gotten through a lot of my um, officer training and previous schoolwork and stuff, just sort of a bit of academic horsepower, sit up late, drink coffee, power through the exams and brain dump was sort of yeah. my modus operandi. And that, and you know, that doesn't work when you're on pilots course, you're running into, you know, being able to recall and perform tasks while flying. And I got into the navigation phase and I got absolutely pasted by my uh, instructor pilot, my qualified flying instructor, Mark Hardcastle absolutely taught me a new one in a, in a totally different way. And uh, that was a hard lesson around preparation I learned. So I was going to say, Mike, if you need more time, I can give mine real quick. Yeah, uh, go ahead. We're go talking, ahead. About avi- talking about aviation. So when I was a young, a young flight school student, I was flying with my primary instructor. His name was uh, Ron Bartlett. Shout out. He was a plank owner for the 160th. Just a tremendous, tremendous guy. As a matter of fact, I knew a couple other students that followed suit and we stayed in touch just because we all had him and his instructor. Uh, shout out to, to Mark Davis. Um, anyways, long story short, uh, by this time, I think I was getting ready to leave primary and move on to instruments. So uh, I think I probably had a handful of flights um, with Ron that were left. And the lesson that I learned was on this particular incident was to not just assume that what I thought I heard was what I actually heard. So we were flying these things called Teach 67s. Uh, It's just a Bell Jet Ranger, single turbine engine, uh, the Navy, the Marines, the Army, we all use them for training. I was sitting right seat, he was sitting left seat and we were doing uh, all sorts of like uh, EPs. Uh, emergency procedures, just kind of practicing, you know, for the check ride that's a couple of weeks away. And um, anyways, we, we came in, I, I can't, I think we did like a, a limited tail rotor effectiveness. So we had to come in and just kind of land on the skids and then we, you know, took off. And at, uh, at some point in that maneuver, if I remember correctly, we had to take the uh, boost switch off. Boost is kind of what gives your ability to, to move the flight controls freely without using a lot of force. So we're taking off. We have no boost done as we're climbing out i thought i heard i need you to turn the boost back on i don't know why but that's literally what i thought i heard now the boost switch if you can picture this in the t67 is literally by the left seater's left knee i'm sitting on the right seat so i had to come across literally <laughs> and the the craziest part is there's no procedure where the right seater is reaching across the lap of the left seater by his, by the outside of his left knee or her left knee, um, to get a hold of this top, and it's a gated switch, so it's not like you just flip the switch. You have to pick the switch up out of its gated, secured uh, position, and then like move it. And obviously, thank goodness for guys like Ron uh, Bartlett, cool as a cucumber. He, I can see that he's looking at me while I'm reaching for the, I can see his, I can feel his eyes piercing down at my face and we're on a climb out. We're about to turn crosswind, right? So we're about to, we're climbing. We're about to do a left-hand turn to come back around for another approach. And I think I remember, I think he broke the mic boom. Like he said something, but then he just decided to stop. And my dumbass flips the switch and we bring hydraulic power back on. Now, nothing happened because he was smart enough. And he's also, he's also he's an instructor. Uh, he knew that if he had he, if he had made an input while I was doing that, we would have flipped that helicopter upside down. And the reason I know that is because it happened two weeks prior to us doing that. It was a U, it was an Air Force UH-1 uh, Huey helicopter. It was in training, and they did the exact same scenario. They were in the middle of a turn. One co-pilot misheard what the other co-pilot said, and he turned the hydraulic switch from off to on. And like I said. When you have no boost on, you have to actually force the controls. It takes a lot more force gradient. So if you can just imagine, it's like you're pushing, 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 maybe 200 pounds, and suddenly it goes from 200 pounds to 17 pounds. Well, all that excess, you know, force that you're generating is gonna, it's gonna manifest into like more, you know, cyclic movement, more collective movement. So, anyways, 
Ron was smart enough to know that my dumbass was about to turn the switch on. And anyways, once we were level, cool as a cucumber, he goes, why'd you turn the switch back on? And I said, well, you told me to turn the boost switch back on. And he said, no, I said, tell Tower we're doing a, you know, we're going to continue on and we're going to continue on with left traffic. He said, that's literally, he's like, I literally said, tell Tower we're going in for left, we're climbing out, uh, requesting left traffic. Somehow in my head, I was convinced he wanted me to turn the boost. That's all I heard. So that's exactly what I did. He saved our lives. And obviously once we landed, he, we call it the red taco. It's a red slip that said, you know, I'm a dumbass and uh, lesson learned. Anyways, needless to say, I never reached for that switch again, but uh, that was a lesson learned. And the lesson learned, and, and I took it with me for the rest of my career was if, if, if there's a, a, a degree of, of uncertainty, God damn it, ask the question. Even if you sound like an idiot, ask the question. Like just, if you're not 120%, ask the question. If you didn't hear there's the any doubt, time, ask again. If there's any doubt, there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a question. Is it slightly racist that it's called a red taco and you're a Mexican? I mean, is that, was that directed towards you? It, like particular is like, hey, give him a red slip. We're like, uh-uh, red taco. No, we all just called it a well, pilots generally like tacos. It's kind of a common thing for tacos. We always, we love tacos. Who doesn't, Who doesn't like, tacos? like tacos? I think you'd have to be a racist not to like tacos. That's true. I love tacos. Slip, so we just. I love tacos if that's the case. I mean, I love them. So. It's so good. Honestly, that's such a good lesson, Raph, around removing doubt. There's a gray area here. I'm not quite sure what the person above me wants me to do. I'm going to have a stab. And like, on, honestly, how many businesses and families and marriages and any situation where there's that gray area that just, oh, I thought you meant this, mm. you know, and, and just that one question, that little pause, sit on your hands, clarify, and then get on with it. And Good on him. Especially, yeah, especially if, if, again, if you have to ask three times, four times, you might come off as a dummy. But it's, I found that it's so much better. I mean, that I could have killed us. And there's no exaggeration on that. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. The, the hydraulic power coming into the controls when they're actually selected off. All that force, normally 3,000 PSI, piling onto the flight controls. That's huge. Wow. In the middle well, of Good the lesson. Time. Good oh, lesson, so man. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm picturing you're like, you know, inappropriately close to him as well. <laughs> My, my my roommates were dying laughing when I because after I landed, you know, I, that night I was like, oh my god, I got a red taco, and they're like, what already? And I was like, oh. And so I told them the story, and they were just dying. They're like, wait, your dumbass crawled across the center like center console on the on the left side of his knee for this. They're like, there's no maneuver that calls for that. I'm like, well, I know that now. <laughs> I'm picturing your whole body and your arms and probably your head is really in an inappropriate location for people under military instruction while operating an well, aircraft. Yeah, and I had to navigate around the cyclic because remember the cyclic is between his legs. So my I'm trying to like like steady my head somewhere between the center con or the uh, the instrument console and the cyclic. You know, just the whole thing just. And I'm sure the whole time I kept thinking the engineers that designed this thing are stupid. <laughs> Imagine leaning across a car to pass the driver and like operating their window or operating the, you know, the indicator or something. Your head is going to be a bit too close to their lap. I'm just going to leave it at that. I could see Raph just like leaning over awkwardly right next to me, reaching down around my, my leg groin area. And he's like, what's up player? What's up? You know, yeah. what's up player? Yeah. Uh. Uh, did you think of one friends. hey yeah hey, Mike. Mike, did, did you think of one did you think of a lesson you learned the hard way yeah i did so this one kind of popped this is a little different so uh when i was back in uh selection you have to do this conditioning course and it's uh, a few hours long and it's it sucks so you start off with a uh, 16 mile ruck run uh you got a 35 pound rucksack and you got food and water and the instructions say hey you have to bring your pistol holster uh, with you, right? It, uh, but you have to drop it off at the armory in the morning so they can transport them out because you do a 16 mile ruck run. Uh, you go to the range, you have to shoot a certain course uh, for accuracy and time. And then you hop in and you have to swim your ruck and all that other stuff across the bay, which is a one mile ocean swim. 
you get out, you run over, drop your ruck, do an obstacle course and full kit and gear and all that stuff. And then you run out and then you have to run up this uh, certain hill in a certain amount of time and then do like burpees at the end and then you're done. So it's, it's a kick in the ass. I'm sounding, I feel exhausted just hearing this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm revisiting it. I'm like, God, I'm glad I did it when I was a lot younger. Uh, so for prep, I was like, man, I want to really crush this, right? And because I wasn't a super gifted guy, but I, I can shoot really well, but I wasn't the fastest swimmer. I wasn't the fastest runner, but I was just like, man, I'm going to get a great night's sleep. So I went to bed early. I drank tons of water. Like I was mentally prepped to like get this and really like earn some respect in my class. Cause keep in mind, I'm like 19 years old. So I'm like one of the younger guys that everybody's like, ah, you know, whatever, dude. So, uh, so I go to the armory and I was like, I'm going to get there early and drop it off to our ordinance rep. Uh, so I go there, I'm the first one there and it was right in the center of the ordinance room. I take my, my pistol holster and put it right in the center. So like, there's no way, like I'm here first dropped it off. I went out, start stretching, start getting ready, got all my stuff. I start the run, finish the run, get to the range. And there's a whole box full of pistol holsters and you got to go through and your initials are on. I start going through it. Mine's not in there. And I'm like, <gasps> and I'm just mentally collapsing. I'm like, where's my pistol holster? Where's my pistol holster? And then keep in mind, I was probably in the, the, the forward quarter of the class uh, for the run portion so I was doing really well and finished like towards the front. So I was like, man, I'm going to hop in here, shoot my stuff, and I'm going to be rolling. I'm going to be like top 10. That was my goal is to get to top 10. Pistol holster, not there. Full panic. Instructors are like jumping on me. Where the hell is it? I was like, I put it in the armory. I'm telling you, I did it. I did it. I did it. So they're like, you're not shooting. Continue on. Go. So I went through, jumped in the water. By this time, the other two thirds of my class passed me. So now I'm towards the back. I'm mentally going down because I'm like, I'm not, I was in the front. Now I'm in the back. So I'm just putting out for the swim. I'm kicking my ass off, get out, do the O course. I started passing people and I got to about the middle of the class. I finished up and I come back and they're like reading out times and everything. After it's over, we got cleaned up, got dry clothes on dry camis and stuff like that come out. And they're like, where's Mike? And I come out forward and they're like, ah, no pistol holster, disqualified. What? And I was like, are you shitting me? You know, I, of course, this is all going in my head. I don't say that to the damn instructor. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. My face is red. I'm just dead inside. I'm like, oh, my God, I just did this for nothing. Right. So my reward was I had to I had to jump in an ice bath every hour on the hour for the next five days, uh, including stuff. And uh, I had to have my pistol holster on my leg every single day, everywhere I went. I had to sleep in it. I had to lay in bed, you know, I'm in my underwear with my pistol holster on. And uh, my clear lesson was being early is good. Being too early is bad because that person that came in early to get there is still not awake yet and, and, and can fuck you over. So <laughs> be early, but not too early. Cause nobody's going to put up with your positivity. <laughs> that is savage. Did you say five days of yeah. the one hour? Yeah. All through the night, all through the night. Yep. I mean, honestly, you got to say one thing about military training. You don't make those mess ups twice, right? Oh, I never did it again, man. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. and, and that was my biggest thing is like, Hey, you got all your gear, first line gear, second line gear, you know, where's your pistol holster? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I reckon that's probably a good spot to leave it there guys. A little bit of um, good cheer and banter there with <laughs> lessons we've all learned the hard way. So we touched, we, we started off with a bit of um, re reflections on uh, a charity trip once in a lifetime, closure trip, hearing about an amazing Korean War veteran, William Tula, who just played a lot of baseball through the Korean War and held that with him, kept it tight on his chest for nearly 60 years. And his family heard about the heroism at the funeral, which is just an extraordinary thing there around... Uh, you know, a, a guy who Mike described as a humble servant of God. 
And I think probably the big thing I was hearing out of that, Mike, was conversations about life that you were having, you know, in those moments with those people. You have that special ability to connect in those moments with people. And if, you, if you're present in the moment, you can, you can really get something meaningful out of it. Greatest generation, quite professionalism, character ethic, and uh, sharing experiences of life and death. Is there uh, anything you wanted to leave everyone with there? We, d- we didn't get out, Mike. No, I, I, I do like to challenge people. So I would say if it's possible, um, normally around Be- Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Remembrance Day, it, it's very hard for people to come out and talk about things just because of how emotionally charged. But if you have the opportunity to sit and talk with a, a veteran, especially a combat veteran, especially from that generation, um, sit down and ask them what life and what life means to them. And uh, you're going to, you're, you're about to get some education because they have such an amazing perspective on life. And um, you know, as a, as a young man, like I'm, you know, I'm young, I'm 33, I'm young. The, one of the things that the 82 year old veteran, uh, William, he, he said to me again is, you're 33 and you've experienced these things with life and death and all of these life experiences. That is a gift that was given to you one, because you can handle it. And two, it is now your mission to take those lessons forward for the rest of your life and make everything that you touch, everybody you talk to and all the experiences you have to be positive. And this, this is coming from him. And, and again, I think that's one of the biggest compliments and, things that I could have got this weekend was, you know, they specifically pulled me aside in the morning when I was going to breakfast and said, Hey, can you please come visit us? We'd like to talk to you. And, uh, he shared that with me and I, I almost broke into tears. I, re- I really did. It was just, it was, it was great. So I would challenge people to go have those conversations. And, uh, I challenge you to change your perspective on life, uh, through a, through the, through the eyes of a, of a military combat veteran, because, they, they really know that they just get it. And it's a gift that we all bear. So, Thanks for that, mate. Yeah. Anything, any final thoughts there for you, Tia? No, nah, man. Uh, you can't recap after that. No. <laughs> That's a hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> Go through the rest of your life and make all of your experiences positive. All right. So until next week, guys, uh, stay safe. Have some of those conversations that Mike has talked about and we'll see you on the next one.